0: We're going to explore and express the depths of the gospel by talking about hurt. That doesn't sound like a real pick-me-up kind of a moment, but the fact of the matter is you cannot fully grasp and understand, much less experience, the full reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ without understanding pain and suffering. It is a part of the human condition, and where we begin today is really pretty simple. It's not easy to do or to live out, but it's really very, very simple. It's this. Only the gospel makes sense of our pain. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can actually make sense of our pain and the suffering that we experience in this life. The gospel does not minimize your pain. The gospel does not say, well, if you had enough faith, you would never suffer. You would never have any pain. You would never struggle In reality, Jesus shows us repeatedly throughout his life, but especially at the end of his life, how the gospel makes sense of our pain. And the fact of the matter is, that's what we need. The reality is, nobody really cares about philosophical platitudes in the middle of hurting. Nobody wants to hear a cliche when they're really and truly hurting. What we need is is somebody there with us. What we need is an understanding. A lot of times what we really want is to know that the payoff is worth the pain. Isn't that true? We want to know that maybe we can't understand exactly what God is up to or exactly why this is going on, but if I can know that the payoff is worth it, then I'm willing to pay the price on the going inside. Recently, my wife Julie and I took a spiritual pilgrimage. You've heard about people doing this as an expression of faith. Maybe they travel to another part of the world. Our pilgrimage kept us here in town, and we recently pilgrimaged to Franklin Barbecue. How many of y'all have ever... Let me see the show. If you've never been to Franklin Barbecue, raise your hands. I'm about to change your life. I've got a few pictures. We documented this day. If you've never been to Franklin Barbecue before, it is a It is an all-day ordeal. That's that's what you see when you get there. But Julie and I got there at 9.15 in the morning, and we were at the back of this line. I know. It's unbelievable. I'm sitting there going, I I don't go to Luby's because I don't like to stand in line. But we had heard about Franklin Barbecue. Here's a little picture of Julie beside the trash cans as we were waiting in line. That's my lovely. We stopped and picked up lunch on the way to lunch because we knew we were going to be there for a long time. (laughs) They come out. Now, this picture was taken just inside the front door of Franklin Barbecue. We got there at 9.15. This picture was snapped at 3.48 in the afternoon. (laughs) Don't shake your head at me. Wait a minute. I'm I'm not done yet. So now we're inside. So we get up. We move up to the line. This is their state-of-the-art signage. Tells you what all they, they serve. The Tipsy Texan, just so you know, is not alcoholic. It is a, it's a meat coma waiting to happen. But that's, a, that's one of the sandwiches they serve. Next picture, you'll see they're preparing. Now, real quick, I want you to see the, the, the buns on the left, to our left, his right. That's a chopped beef sandwich that will set you free. <laughs> it's unbelievable. The one he's working on right there, it's about a softball-sized chunk of pulled pork That'll make you slap your mama. It's unbelievable. So this, and then here's the problem. When you waited in line that long, you want a little bit of everything. You're like, this better be worth it. So we come on through the line and then this is the final product right there. This was Julie's in my order. We did take some home. Not much, but some. That Coca-Cola right there, made in Mexico. Echo in Mexico. That, I, I can't tell you how good it was! Now, while we were waiting in line all day, people kept coming out. The people who had gotten into the line—they opened at 11. The line had begun forming at 6:45 a.m. Those are the committed, or who should be committed. But they—they they walk out the door about 11:30, 11:45, and they just walk out and they say to everybody in line, "It's worth it. I'm just telling you, it's worth it." We had never been before, and all day long we're sitting in line going. I can't believe we're doing this. It was a perfect. So a beautiful day. My day off. We, were, we had the time. So we sat out there, made friends with a lot of new people we'd never seen before. And, and just on and on. There were bachelor parties happening in line because it goes on for like seven or eight hours. That's a true story right there. People coming out. It's worth it. It's worth it. When we got to the line and placed our order. The, the guy making the sandwiches and slicing the brisket said, you know what, y'all have been in line a long time. It was now after 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And he goes, and he, and he took his big butcher knife and he cut off a finger. No, I'm just kidding. He cut, off, <clears throat> he cut off a little burnt end of the brisket. And for those of you who are uninitiated, burnt end is the part that God eats of a brisket. <laughs> he cut off a corner of the burnt end and he said, "You just try this. Just Just try this. And Julie took a piece, I took a piece, and and the people we'd been waiting in line with took a piece, and I put it in my mouth, and, and tears just started coming down my face. I looked at Julie and I said, I've never loved you more than I do in this moment. We got to our table, we ate. It's worth it. I'm telling you, it is worth the wait. Now you and I, when we enter into a season of trial, a time of suffering, a time of pain, we don't always know what the payoff's gonna be. And in John chapter 16, Jesus begins to prepare his disciples like you and me for how we process pain, how we understand suffering in this world. And in John chapter 16, Jesus is really kind of up against a wall because he's about to go to the cross. He's about to be crucified. He's about to be betrayed. And he's helping them to process this before the fact and explaining to them what's about to happen and what they're going to go through personally, collectively, spiritually, and emotionally. But in so doing, he gives us a paradigm for how we can process pain, how we process suffering as human beings. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. You, You may not be really suffering or enduring a painful season right now and I pray that you're not but some of you some of us are some of us right now are in the middle of a world of hurt that we don't know what to do with we we don't we can't get our minds around it And, and a lot of times we ask ourselves where's God how how could God allow this Christian theologian John Stott says that this very question is the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith that exists in the world. It's the question that theologians call theodicy. It's T-H-E-O, Theo's God, and then disy, D-I-C-Y. Theodicy is what we're talking about. You thought we were going to talk about Johnny Cash, but we're talking about theodicy. How can an all-loving and all-powerful God allow suffering and pain in this world? We can't understand that or get our minds and our hearts around it without understanding the cross of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 16, verse 20, the Bible says Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but, say but. But. Come on now, y'all, this is the 11 o'clock crowd. Y'all been drinking coffee for several hours now. Say, but. But. Thank you very much. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. Now, again, remember, Jesus is speaking here specifically about the crucifixion. And if you can kind of put yourself in the sandals of the disciples for just a brief second, these were the men who had abandoned everything. They had left families. They had left... Jobs that they had been training for since they were born. They had apprenticed into their father's businesses. They left it all to follow Jesus. And Jesus knew that when he died on the cross, they would feel like their entire world had collapsed. And he's saying to them, this is going to happen. You will absolutely be grieving. But he said, the world's going to be celebrating. The world will absolutely be thrilled and tickled That I'm dead. The Pharisees will celebrate. We're done with him. Don't have to worry about him anymore. The Roman Empire will think, finally, Judea. Back to business as usual. Hallelujah. If the Romans said hallelujah. They would have said that when Jesus died. He said the world will be celebrating. But look at what he said to them. You will grieve, but. You will grieve, but. That but is a huge pivot point. You can't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't understand pain or suffering without that big but right there that Jesus pivots on. He says you will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to incredible joy. You see, what Jesus is explaining not only to them but to you and to me is that the gospel upends our understanding of pain. You and I look at pain and think, avoid it at all costs. Do not want to do that. Kale salad? No way. <laughs> Give me the chocolate chip. That I'm not talking to myself, of course. I know people. <laughs> but the gospel upends our understanding of pain. Because When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just go to the cross. He went through the cross, Jack. He went all the way through. The cross, while all roads lead to the cross, not all roads end at the cross. The cross set up the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why the gospel, the word gospel, means good news. If it had ended at the cross, that ain't good news. He's dead. See ya. But he goes through the cross. And the Bible says that he endured the shame of the cross for the glory set before him. Because of the resurrection, there is now a God who identifies with us. There is a God who understands Our pain. Not a God who says that our pain is not real. Not a God who says that our pain is the product of our desires so we should minimize our desires so that we never understand pain. But a God who says, I know suffering. I know pain. When you hurt, you don't hurt alone. You are not by yourself. And the gospel upends our understanding of suffering. Now all of a sudden, because of the gospel, because Christ conquered death, because he subdued sin, there can be purpose in our pain. It's amazing to me when people say, well, there's no point in pain. I think what we're really saying when we say that is, because I can't figure it out, because I can't discern the pain, there must not be any. That's a fairly arrogant posture to take, to say that, Because I can't understand it with my limited human understanding in mind. God, who is infinite, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, God can't possibly have a purpose in my pain. And the gospel upends that understanding. We don't always understand what the purpose is. Let me be quick to say. But we do know that we don't suffer alone. That we have a great high priest, the book of Hebrews tells us, who identifies with us in our weakness, who identifies with us in our pain. Jesus isn't done. He goes on, and he he kind of starts to use an illustration that we can understand to communicate eternal truths. He says in verse 21, It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. Isn't that a great picture? You know, I remember when Julie was pregnant with our second, Joseph. Emily had been born about two years earlier, and you know how when when a woman gets into that eighth or ninth month of pregnancy, and and it, it gets to that point where they're beautiful but very uncomfortable. That that's where Julie was, and. I remember when Julie was pregnant with Joseph, she would, she would come to bed or maybe kind of ease down into a chair to eat or something. She'd be like, Whew, I don't remember being this uncomfortable with Emily. And I said, honey, <laughs> let me assure you, you were that uncomfortable. You made sure that I knew you were that uncomfortable. I said that once. But you know when Emily was born all the discomfort went away. She's so beautiful. Look at her, little bundle of joy. She's perfect. is wonderful. It's incredible. Delivery was easy. Sugar, I was there. Don't try to shine me. But you forget that because the payoff is worth the pain. When you and I hurt and suffer in this world right now, we don't always know the payoff when we're in the midst of it. But we do know the God who accompanies us through it. And God's not done yet. Jesus goes on and he says, at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. This is radical stuff, brand new. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. You see, Jesus is saying through the suffering that he's about to experience on the cross and the victory he will achieve in the resurrection, we will have direct access to God the Father. And what Jesus is saying here again is that the suffering part of the gospel reinforces relationship with God. Because of the suffering part of the gospel and the victory part of the gospel, our relationship part with God is reinforced. It's that part that drives us to him. When we get to the end of ourselves, people say all the time, like, God will never give you more than you can bear. God won't, He won't do it. And you may have heard that said. I hope you've never told anybody because that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. God will never give you more than you can bear. Of course, He will. He allows more than we can bear into our lives all the time so that we are driven to our knees and drawn to Him. So that in our suffering, we cry out and say, Abba, Father. That, that term that Jesus used. On the cross, Abba is that term of affection for a dad. It's, it's daddy. Daddy. And he promises we will never hurt alone. Ever. It always reinforces the relational aspect of the gospel. The relational aspect of the gospel is where it all begins. Remember John 3, 16. For God so loved the world... For God so loved you. It begins with God, but God is love. He's about relationship. And suffering, when we look at it and experience it in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, reinforces that relationship part of it. But you know, I think it's here that that we come up against a pretty hard reality. The fact of the matter is, We don't always feel the love of God when we hurt. As a matter of fact, it's when we hurt that a lot of times we say, where is God? Where did God go? How could God let this happen? Or maybe even, how could God cause this to happen? And it's at this place that we need to remember something very, very important. That God never causes suffering in our lives. He never causes it. For purposes that we don't always understand sometimes, he allows it, but he is not the cause of suffering. And those are two very different things. And in his sovereignty, in his moral perfection, he can take something, even something that is outside of what he would have desired and willed in our lives and use it for his purposes. I go back to when I was a kid. My parents split up. I was 12 years old. Divorce. Statistic. That wasn't God's will for my mom and dad to be married for 18 years, have three boys, and then call it quits, eject button. But it happened. And I saw God use that in such powerful ways, even to today at 48 years old, that I've seen the power of God take that which was not his plan or will and use it for his purposes. Because that's who he is. That's what the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, when it said, God causes all things, say all. all, all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. All things he can use because he is God and we are not. And the gospel reinforces that relationship part of it. So when you are hurting, when you suffer, it's okay to tell God, this hurts. This hurts bad. It's even okay to say, God, I'm mad at you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Some of you right now are like, cool, I'd love to be that honest with God. Others are like, I wouldn't do it. (laughs) He's got lightning bolts and stuff. (laughs) I would encourage you to be Respectful. To honor God when you tell Him you're mad at Him, but tell Him. Here, here's a little little freebie. He already knows. <laughs> you know, as a husband, Julie sometimes can say, "You know what? I just have to tell you. I, I'm I don't want to let this fester, but but you did so and so. You know, and, and it just kind of it just kind of made me mad. And I'm like, I had no idea." And then I'll usually say something like, "You've never heard of a joke?" But I'll say, "I, I, didn't, I didn't know you were mad." And she'll say, "Well, then that's another problem, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> God is smarter than husbands. <laughs> you should write that down. That's really profound. God already knows if you're mad at him. He knows. So, respectfully tell him. Say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm hacked. This, this is not what I planned. This hurts. Or, or sometimes, sometimes, let's be honest. When you really, really grieve, you, you don't even have words. You, you just, you can't even, you can't even get it out. God says, that's okay. I'm not going anywhere. I can take it. It'd be better if you're respectful, but I can take it. Look at what Jesus says, verse 25. He he says, now I've spoken of these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and I will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, 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 no. For the Father himself loves you deeply, dearly, Because you love me and believe that I came from God. You see, the gospel, when we hurt and we wonder where's God, when we hurt and we think he's abandoned us, remember, it's the gospel that proves the passion of God. You ever wonder where God is? Go to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that doesn't mean that jesus was born in a manger as a cute little cuddly baby that means that jesus who was born in a manger as a cute little cuddly baby went to the brutality of the cross for you that that easter thing that we celebrate every year actually happened That jesus was hung on a roman cross nailed to it because he loves you for god so loves you You that he gave his only begotten son. Only begotten doesn't just mean that he was the only son of God, it means the one of a kind, unique in the history of forever. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life the life that is truly life. And the gospel proves the passion of God. But Jesus puts an incredible bow on this in verse 31 and 30 through 33. Jesus asks, now do you finally believe? But, there it is again, it's that, that but. It's, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you will be scattered. Each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. You see Jesus's perspective here before the cross, before we even get to the resurrection. Jesus's perspective is this is a done deal. I will die, but I'm going to beat death. I will defy death. I will subdue sin. I have overcome the world. In this moment, you see the deity of Jesus. You see the fact of his godness. God's not bound by space and time like you and I are. I don't know what I'm having for lunch. Jesus knows exactly what I'm having for breakfast tomorrow. He says, I have already overcome the world. I will conquer death. And because he has conquered death, we can have peace. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ provides peace in God. When you look at the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus, you can know that nothing fashioned on earth or conceived in heaven can defeat the love of God. And in that, we find the peace of God. In that, we understand how deeply and profoundly he loves us. Brian and Delane Teeple are part of the Lake Hills Church family. They're members. And Brian and Delane know what it means to experience the peace of God for the gospel to become real in the midst of real pain. Take a look at this.
1: living in Horseshoe Bay and kind of away from family and friends at the time but we had when we had Wit, our first child who's just turned 10 and we moved back to Austin when he was six months old um, got settled back in Austin and then we had Bowen who was our second child Wit was so excited to have a brother Um, he I mean we just watched the video the other day of him meeting Bowen in the hospital and he was just saying I love my baby brother over and over and over remember sitting in that chair surrounded by, you know, they had the EMS people and the um, social workers and policemen and no one I knew and ever seen before in my life are all staring at me as I'm sitting in the middle of the room by myself. And they wouldn't let me call Brian because they knew he was driving. But I remember sitting in that chair all by myself and, um, and God spoke to me. I mean, I know that it wasn't me because... I wouldn't have said this to myself at that point. <laughs> um, he said, I'm here, you're gonna be okay. I'm with you or we'll get through this. The whole time I knew God was right beside me and there was nothing that I couldn't get through. And people still to this day say, I don't know how you did that. I'm like, I did not do that. <laughs> I would not have been able to do that by myself.
0: I guess I know that everybody that's that's here is having something going on in their lives if i didn't have god uh, if we weren't at a, at a strong place in our relationship with marriage and with god uh, i don't know what would have happened i probably would have gone off the deep end
1: you know and it gave us also it gave us an amazing perspective on life that i think that was one of the main gifts that we get through this is just um, perspective on you know living Eternally. We
0: had a, a, little, a little girl, uh, Adele, uh, a year or two after the accident and now she's five.
1: Every one of us, if we have believe and have faith in Jesus, we can get through whatever comes in our way.
0: your heads for just a moment pain is real so is the power of God I loved what Delane said there about perspective from an eternal point of view versus a temporary point of view this may be where the whole thing turns for the follower of Christ. C.S. Lewis wrote, they say of some temporal suffering that no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once it is attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. The paradigm for this Reality for this promise is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The death and burial and resurrection that he endured for you, for me. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that promise of new life, then we want to give you the opportunity to do that just right now, just right where you're sitting, to apply that eternal perspective to every part of life, not only the suffering and the pain, but the victories, the celebrations, the mundane, to make it all matter. If you've never done that definitively, once and for all, then we invite you to do it right now. To respond as God leads and just pray a prayer of beginning, a prayer of committing. Just silently where you're sitting, just talk to God right now. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I give you my life in exchange for the life you gave for me. I confess my sins. I claim your forgiveness. and I give you all of who I am right here, right now. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you to just remain with your heads bowed for another moment because this is sacred ground that we're walking on right now. But if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, you need to understand this is the greatest moment of your life. The greatest moment of your life here on earth and the greatest moment of your eternal life because it's the beginning. It's a moment that matters. And so, if that was your prayer today in this place and you meant it for the first time with our heads bowed, our eyes closed in this sacred moment, I want to ask you if you would just raise your hand right where you're sitting, just silently raise your hand and mark this moment. And make sure that you know this is real. This counts once and for all. For us as a church, there's never a moment more important than this one. We want to be a a family of faith to you, for you. We want to be stronger and better because you're a part of us. And so as you put your hands down, we want to celebrate that with you. Put our hands together and tell you welcome home.